I have nature is telling me in the last 12 hours. I cannot believe how dry my mouth and throat have been. And do you get used to it? Okay. More said no than said yes, and I'm going to go with the no's. Those of you that have, thank the Lord that you have been able to adapt, okay? But uh, I'm with as much speaking as I'm going to be doing, I have a feeling that I'm really going to be relying on the water. Now, I traveled in a children's um, Bible program. We would go and travel and, and be in different towns running youth rallies. And I remember that summer they told us uh, to, to drink a lot of water, but never drink in front of the kids. Of course, we called them boosters. Never drink in front of the boosters. And so... I, it stuck with me. I don't like drinking in front of people in, in a service. And here's why. Because in front of kids, what happens when you drink water in a service? They all want water and they all want to get up and go get a drink, okay? So resist the temptation, okay? Resist the temptation, all right? But I already, I don't know if you can hear it, but I can hear it, that it's already right there. But I appreciate um, Pastor asking Shortly after, well, right after, we were here, I was here last summer, um, and some of you have said, was it two years ago or was it last summer? It was just last summer that I was here, uh, pastor asked if we could have a meeting, and we said yes, and, and the key was getting meetings in the West, because we live in North Carolina, so being able to, having to be able to drive that far, but God opened some doors. I had a friend that was in Wyoming, and he contacted me, and then I had another friend in Oregon who we're going to be with right after this. Um, he contacted me, and so just that opportunity to, I praise the Lord that you have tissues up here. Oh, I was like, I am in trouble. Okay, you, you, you don't want those kind of problems. Um, I, there's another thing that I was told, but I rejected that, and they say I always have a, a, a handkerchief, right? I, I don't even own handkerchiefs, okay? And I'm like, no, I can handle it. I'll be all right. And I just about wasn't all right, but you saved me on that one. So anyway, God has opened the doors for us to have meetings out west, and it's not been, it was, it was, it was easy. And that's when the Lord is in it. You know those things. And uh, we are praying and have been praying and expect to be praying this week that God would do a work in our lives. As, as we prayed just a moment ago that God would work in our hearts, I prayed the same thing. Just because I'm speaking from God's Word doesn't mean that God doesn't do a work in my heart. Every preacher that has preached God's Word has had God deal in his heart while he's preaching. And it's sometimes the Lord says in your mind and in your heart while you're speaking, well, how about you? And uh, that's, that's difficult to keep talking. When, uh, when you're having to do business with the Lord and uh and and you're supposed to be helping others understand his word and speaking at the same time but uh but god is good to us and god is good to you and so what i'm going to ask is that you would continue to pray this week that you would maybe put a, a notification on your phone to remind you at lunchtime in the morning all times i don't know uh, to pray for the meetings and uh and pray for for yourself pray for your family Pray for those that you would like to invite to come out because we'd like to see God do a work in our lives and lives of others. Um, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And He came to seek and to save that which was lost, and we want to see God do that kind of work in our midst. Uh, and I know that you know people that don't know the Lord as their Savior. You know people that maybe live without hope. 
And Christ is our hope. In fact, the Bible tells us that God is the God of all hope. I don't know how I could live my life without hope. How could I live without hope for my, my future, my, my next month and a half, that, that I didn't have hope that someone is in control that cares about me? And, and for my eternity, how could I live without the hope of knowing that when I die, whenever that is, that that's in God's hands, not mine, and that He has secured my eternity with Him, and that He promised that, and that He's reliable. So that's a free message. That's not why I'm here this morning uh, to preach that, but I, but I want to encourage you to pray and to invite. And so with that, would you turn to Acts chapter 8? Acts chapter 8. We'll start reading midway through. But do you ever have a job or a task that you just can't seem to finish that? Um, they say that a woman's job is never done, and that's true if, if her job is to cook and to do laundry and to clean the house and all those things, especially if you have four kids, right? Uh, we have four, and, and I don't know if I, I don't remember this. I, I was a boy, still am, and I was the kind of person that I wore the same clothes if I could every day because they were comfortable yesterday, they're going to be comfortable today, right? And uh, But girls, at least some of mine, seem to want to change clothes four or five times a day. My youngest would and does. And the next thing you know, you're thinking, that's not what she was wearing a little bit ago. Uh, but she wants to change those clothes and those kind of things. So laundry always needs to take place. Um, dishes. My wife will be doing the dishes, and, and she'll have everything in the dishwasher, and then I'll come in with, with one more cup, right? <laughs> and I'll put it on the counter or something, and it's just not done. But there are jobs that men have to do that are often not done. And, and as I think about this, I think one of those jobs is mowing the yard, but I guess that's not true here, right? Not as much to have to mow the yard. And I don't know if you have to shovel snow, but some of the places we are where it sn- snows all the time, it seems like they're always shoveling snow. But maybe it's the house. There's always something that needs to be fixed at the house or finished. Um, sometimes it's that, well, when we, when we moved into this place and we bought it, we're going to finish that and you just never get it done. It's always there. Maybe it's in a closet somewhere. Maybe it's a piece of trim that needs to be replaced or fixed or put on or something. And there's always, every time I say that, there's always some wife or husband poking at somebody, hey, you know, this is a good reminder to get that done. But there's always that unfinished task. Well, when Christ came, as was mentioned, He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And there are still lost people. That is the task that is unfinished that He left for us. And if you think about that, um, He told us, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every preacher. Preach the good news. The good news that although we're sinners, that Jesus Christ came to pay the price for our sin. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Jesus came for that. And when He died, He rose from the dead the third day. That validates His promise to save us from our sins. And it promises that we can have new life, the new life that He had in His resurrection that He wants to give to us. But we understand that that's only received by faith and repentance. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Not something else. Not, not our good works, not, not the, the fact that we gave, not the fact that maybe we are good people, but that 
we turn from our sins. That's repentance. And we turn to God in faith and said, God, it's only you that can fix the problem of sin in my life. And that's what he wants to do. But he told us that it was expedient. It was better for him to leave because if he left, he would send the Holy Spirit to indwell those of us that are believers, to live in us and work through us to impact lives around us. And we have that opportunity. And that's the task that he's given us. In the beginning of Acts, he tells us that we have received power from the Holy Ghost and that therefore we are witnesses of Christ and that we should be witnesses in Jerusalem, which for you would be Fernley, or maybe if you live in Fallon or some other nearby community, that is your Jerusalem, but also Judea and Samaria and to the other most parts of the earth, that we are to go and we are to tell them. And maybe God has called you to stay in one place, but it's our responsibility to do that. Maybe God would call you to go to some further place. Let me tell you, if he does, you're going to be happier there than you are here. You just have to trust God for that. An interesting thought. God never tells the sinner to go to church. He doesn't. But he tells the church to go to the sinner. Are we obedient to that task? So Acts chapter 8. And we're going to start reading in verse number 26. Acts 8, verse 26. We're going to look at the conversion of three different men. So we're going to jump from chapter 8 to 9 to 10 and kind of back and forth, okay? But they're close together, so it shouldn't be a problem. If, if that's difficult, just listen or look to somebody else, okay? But Acts 8 and verse 26. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go to the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to worship, come to Jerusalem for to worship and was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip, go near and join thyself to this chariot. Then Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, how can I except some man should guide me? Now let's skip to verse number 34. And the eunuch answered Philip, and I said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet of this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Now skip to verse 1 of chapter 9. We'll see the conversion of Saul. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, any Christians, whether they were men or women, that he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near to Damascus, and suddenly there shined a light round round about him and a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth, and as he heard and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Now, chapter 10, verses 1 through 5, and then we'll jump to a different spot. 
And there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to, to people and prayed to God always. And he saw in a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And he looked on him and was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. Now verse 19. When Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. These are the men from Cornelius. Arise, therefore, and get thee down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Now, verse 45. Peter had spoken things, and it says, While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word, and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. So we have the conversion of three men. The last is Cornelius, the middle is Saul, who eventually became Paul, and we know him as the one who wrote almost half the New Testament. And the first was the Ethiopian, of which we have no name. Now these three men have some things in common, but there are some things that are very different about them. And we're going to look at the things that are different, but we're also going to look at the things that are in common about them. And one of the things that is in common about them is that there is a universal problem that they have. Every one of them has the same problem. It's not the problem of drugs. It's not a problem of alcohol. In fact, this world has a universal problem, the same problem that they have. And again, it's not drugs or alcohol. It's not homelessness. It's not global warming. It's not even COVID. It's not cancer. It's not an economic problem. It's not an oil problem. It's none of those things. The problem that we all have is the problem that they had, and it's the problem of sin. And that sin is what splits us from God, separates us, as the Bible says. He says, Behold, my hand is not short that it cannot save, neither is my ear heavy, but your sins have separated between you and your God, and your sins, your iniquities, have withholden His face from you. Yet there is a difficulty, there is no relationship. Now think about that. Think about way back when God created man and put him in the garden. Now God created man to have a relationship with man, to have fellowship. But God did not want this to be an automatic robotic, no-choice relationship. That's not really a relationship, is it? When someone is forced to have a relationship with you. Imagine if you had some kind of a a robot at your house. Those things are becoming more popular that you can have uh, some kind of robot. Well, they vacuum your floor now, right? Uh, Nobody wants a relationship with that little disc running around in your house, right? Or what if it had arms and it could go get you something to drink? All that would be nice if it could do those things, if it could also maybe scrub the tub and the shower and in the toilet and the sink. That would be nice. But how to have a relationship with a piece of machinery? It needs to have a choice to be able to have a relationship with you. Well, the choice that God gave man was represented by a tree. And he put that tree there and said, don't eat of this. And it came down to it as they were tempted that, oh, it looks good. And, oh, it can make me wise. And and maybe this tree can give me the ability to choose between what is right and what's wrong for me. And and I would like that. And I would like to maybe not recognize God. But it comes down to it is, am I going to love myself? 
and obey what I want, or am I going to love God and obey what He wants? Well, that's the choice. Am I going to choose to maintain my relationship with God, or am I going to choose not to? And man chose not to. And that caused all of mankind to be born outside of a relationship with God, separated from Him. God sent Jesus to reconcile us. The Bible uses that term, to reconcile God to man. Well, the way for that to happen is to pay for the wrongdoing that we have done. To pay for that which separates us between God. And we've talked about that. But that universal problem is sin. Now, let's look at a difference between these. The first, it says very explicitly that he was an Ethiopian. He was from Africa. He was black. He was a son of Ham. Now, what do you mean, son of Ham? Noah had three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. And of those, all the world comes from those three sons. He was a son of Ham from Africa. We move to chapter 9 and we see Saul. Saul, even when he talks about himself in the book of Philippians in chapter 3, he said, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. Not only was I born Jewish, but I did everything that a Jew was supposed to do. I was perfect in all those ways. I kept the law. He said, I was a Pharisee. What that means is, that would be like saying, oh, when I drive and I keep the law, I go one mile an hour under the speed limit. You know, if you're supposed to signal 100 feet before you turn, I signaled 101 feet before I turned. You know, he was saying, the, the Pharisees have these bonus laws. He said, I kept all the bonus laws. It's supposed to make him righter than right, purer than pure, right? That's In his mind, that's the way it was. So we have a son of Shem, a Semite, as maybe we would call them today. That was Saul. And then in the last person, Cornelius, in chapter 10, it says that he was of the Italian band. He was a white European. Some people say he was the first white guy in all the Bible. Now, I don't know if that's true, but what we have then is a representation of every color, every race that's ever come. If you want to split it that way, I'm more in the favor of saying we are the human race. We, you cut us and we all bleed red. All right, we all live the same length of life. We are the same in God's eyes. In fact, that's what God says, that of one blood He has made us all. But we see here, even in man's eyes, every one of us has the same problem. And it's the problem of sin. God tells us there is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. And that sin is our problem. And you might say, well... My life has been this way. Well, these, men's had, these men had vastly different lives, and yet it was the same problem. When I was growing up, I grew up in Kansas, and at that time, Oklahoma City did not have a basketball team professionally as they do today, and at that time, Denver did not yet have their professional basketball team, and so I think that the closest basketball team professionally to me was Chicago. So that was an easy Easy team in the 80s and 90s to have as your favorite team, as we know that Michael Jordan played for them and won many championships. And so I had, as a normal you know, 1990s teenager, so some of you now over here maybe think I'm old, um, pastor, though, said from here just a few minutes ago that I'm young. I heard it. I leaned over my wife said, we're young. Despite the number, we are young, because pastor said so. So I had the posters. You know, I had the basketball cards, I had all that. And I, I loved watching the Chicago Bulls play. 
Now, later on, they added some players, and one of those players was not so much known for what he did on the court, but was known more for what he did off the court. It was a very flamboyant player. Sometimes you wondered, what is he going to be wearing at the press conference? It might, he might wear a boa around his neck. Now, some of you have already guessed it. Some of you are who is this guy? His name was Dennis Rodman. And Dennis Rodman was a wild man. A wild man. His teammates would say the same thing. Uh, they said that uh, there were times that the, uh, the non-starters would have to stay with him when they would go to another city. And they were to keep him out of trouble. It was their job to keep him out of trouble. Now, if he wanted to go and party, that was fine, but they had to be with him. Now, here's the difference between a starter and a non-starter. The 8 o'clock practice in the morning, the starters don't have to show up to that. At least they didn't. But the non-starters do. And so they'd be out all night. They'd roll, they said, we'd roll in at 7 o'clock in the morning, and we had to shower and go to practice, and we'd been up all night. And this guy, if he wants to, he can go to bed. Now, what is known of him is that he was a prolific partier in a bad way. That all the things that he could have gotten himself into, the drugs, the alcohol, etc., etc., he did, and he did so as much as he could. In fact, as we, as you may have known, he wrote an autobiography. I have not read it, but I remember knowing the title. And the title of his autobiography was, As Bad as as I want to be. That's what he said. I'm going to be as bad as I want to be. Now, I remember there was a lot of criticism levied towards him because of his lifestyle. And, well, you're in the NBA and you're a role model, et cetera, et cetera, what people might say. You know, I didn't look at him as my role model. I looked at him as a good basketball player. But a thought that I had was this. Why would I expect a person who doesn't believe this book to live like they believe this book? Right? Why would I expect somebody who may not even believe that God exists to live as if he believes that God exists and God is going to judge him one day? I don't expect that. Now let me stop that and we're going to pick that illustration back up in just a little bit. Okay? I was a youth pastor in Indiana for seven years. And in that time, we would run VBSs in the summer. We would run a week-long youth rally every night for maybe 6 to 8 o'clock at night. We'd run a youth rally and we'd play games and, and eat food that teenagers like to eat, and, and we'd have preaching. But I wanted those teenagers to come in and, and not feel like they were in a typical church auditorium. So we would take the front of the auditorium and, and we would build false walls that we could put up and take down every year. And we'd build a false wall across the platform so that floor to ceiling, it, was, it looked completely different. And on the left, there might be a uh, the full thing might be the, the team color and design for their team, and on the right would be for the other team, and in the middle was maybe the theme for the week. Or for VBS, one year we did this castle, and it looked like a castle. I mean, it, it, we painted a door right here in the middle that looked like a kind of a drawbridge door. And, and it was one solid wall with painting on it. And one day, uh, somebody came up and said, can we open the door? And I said, it's, it's just a painting, you know. But I learned that certain colors of paint can make things look a lot real, a lot more real than what they really are. And you say, well, you must be good at painting. No, no, I just took a projector and then I drew the lines with a pencil and then I went back and basically paint by number for adults, okay? That's what I did. And so it, 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 made, it, look, it made it look right. And uh, so, but when I did that, you know, I'm not buying your most expensive Sherwin-Williams paint. I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm going to Walmart and I'm buying their cheapest paint. And often I wasn't looking for 
uh, you know how some of these paint colors are it's very you know autumn fall leaves or something like that and to me that's not a color that's an object I, I want brown okay I'm, I'm a guy that's the way I brown is what I'm looking for so I wouldn't go in and grab the, the little card and take it up and say this is what I want I would say I just want blue okay <laughs> I just want normal blue or I want normal red or I want black now I told that lady one time I went into the Walmart I said I just want black and I said, the blackest black that you can find, that's what I want. And she said, well, we have this card. She said, but I can get blacker than that. And I said, really? And she said, yeah. So she made this thing. And it was. It was unbelievable. And I use black like every summer because a lot of times you use it for those lines and things. And so I bought two gallons. You know how that is with paint when you, they, they put the little thumbprint on the top or whatever that shows you the color. Well, you don't need to do that. Because as soon as you open that can and start using it, what happens? It gets all over the outside of the can, right? It, it's, you, I don't understand why, but it just does. It, it, you can't stop it from happening. It will get on the outside of the can. Now, that's what happened to one of those cans. The other one I didn't open up yet. And so you fast forward a year, and the one, you know, that's a can of black paint. The other one, you look at it and you say, I'm going to have to open that up to find out, Right? Why do, you, why do you say, why do you use that illustration? Because Dennis Rodman would be the guy that his sin is all on the outside. Right? Like that can of paint. It's all on the outside. Nobody has to say, that guy's a sinner before God. You just look at his life. His autobiography. I'm as bad as I want to be. He's acknowledging that there is a standard of right and wrong. And he's saying, I'm on the wrong side of that. But there are many people who are like that other can of paint. They are still just as much paint as the other. They're still just as much of a sinner as the other. It's just that that sin is not as visible to everybody. And we all know that. It could be the sin of being negative and critical about other people. And it's all on the inside. Maybe people can't see that, but it's still sin. It could be the sin of bitterness. Some sin that we are unwilling to forgive somebody else for something they did or some institution for something they did. And sure, I'm not saying that that other person or institution did not do wrong, but the unwillingness to forgive is just as much sin. And as God looks at us, He doesn't see the can. He sees the sin. He doesn't see the body. He doesn't see the sin, or he sees the sin. He doesn't see the tie as much as he sees the heart. And as, as the Bible says, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And when God looks at you, does he see sin? Or does he see the righteousness of Christ? Because we have a universal problem. The problem is sin. Let's move on quickly to the second thing. Notice in verse 30 of chapter 8. Well, actually, the end of verse 27. He had come, who had charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. And then verse 30. 
And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah. It's, it's written that way because it's translated from Greek, but it really is the book of Isaiah. And he's reading the book. He's been to Jerusalem to worship. Now, if we fast forward and we look at Saul in chapter 9, what was he doing? He was going to the priests and saying, can I have paperwork to go to these other outlying cities and bring in the Christians? Because they are against what the Jews worship. That was the idea that the Jews and the high priests and the Pharisees had. So he is a Pharisee of the Pharisees. In his mind, he is protecting the holiness of God. He is protecting the purity of what he believes how to worship God because he doesn't believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He's doing everything in his power to do what is right before God. We moved to Cornelius. We read that he gave alms to the people. He gave he was a giver and that he prayed to God. He was searching for God in his life, but we know that he didn't have a relationship with the Lord. That's why God sent Peter to him to tell him how he could have a relationship with the Lord. We see here a universal hunger. They all had a universal problem, but they all had a universal hunger. And every person that has ever been born has a hunger for God. They may not know that it's God, they just know there's something missing in my life. And maybe you sit here today and you say, there's something missing in my life. I'm here to tell you that's God. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. You have a sore. You have a wound that only He can heal. Only He can fix you. Only He can fill you. And so God found these men because they were looking for God. There's a principle that I have found, and I keep seeing it over and over in Scripture, and that's this. That when people cry out to God, God always answers. Every time. I, I challenge you. I know it's kind of a big book, but read it, the Old Testament, and see every time, and they cried to the Lord, and the Lord heard them. And when God does, He sends a deliverer. Well, they were looking for God, and what happens? Well, God sent Philip to the Ethiopian, he ended up sending Ananias, and we'll see that in chapter 9, to, to Saul. And then he sent Peter to Cornelius. That hunger, God wants to fill that hunger in our lives. Maybe you've had a craving. Maybe I shouldn't talk about food right now. Maybe, maybe the clock is saying, I know, I, I just broke two rules. They talked about food and the clock when you're preaching. You never do, should do those things, okay? Maybe I shouldn't. But what I'm saying is there's a hunger that we all have because God made us to have fellowship with Him. He made us to have a relationship with Him. And when we're born in sin and don't have that relationship, there's something in us that is yearning for that. And I believe this with all my heart, that what Dennis Rodman is trying to do is fill the emptiness. Fill it. NBA championships were not enough. Money was not enough. Fame was not enough. Adoration from people was not enough because it's only God that can fill that. It's only God that can fill that. And you might say, I don't understand that. That's why God wants our faith. He wants us to say, I don't know, but I trust you. I don't know. There's a universal hunger, but there's something else, and this is the best part. Okay, go to Acts chapter 8, verse number 34. And the eunuch answered, and Philip, I, I've got to go back. I've got to tell you what he was reading. Okay, verse 32. And the place of the scripture which he read was this. He is led as a sheep to the slaughter, 
And like a lamb, dumb before his shearer, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare this generation? For his life is taken from the earth. That's a quotation from Isaiah 53. Verse 34, And the eunuch answered and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet of this? Of himself? Is Isaiah talking of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Jesus. That's who it was talking about. He preached unto him Jesus. Now, Acts chapter 9 and verse 5. Saul is struck to the earth. He's got the shining light and he's talking to God. And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus. And then if we go to Acts chapter 10, and we're going to look at verse 38. Peter preached an extensive message. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was witnesses, God was with him, and we are witnesses of all the things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. That's the crucifixion. That's the cross. Him, God raised up the third day and showed him openly. So we have the cross and the resurrection, and we have Christ. That Christ was the satisfaction for the payment that we owe God for our sins. We have a universal Savior. It didn't matter who their parents were. It didn't matter what they'd done wrong. It didn't matter where they were from or what language they spoke or what they previously believed. The answer was still Christ. And as I look across this room, I am curious. I, I, I don't know where you were. I don't know what kind of person you were. But in this room, those that have come to know Christ as their Savior, all different ages, no doubt, places, situations, circumstances, all different kind of lifestyles prior to that, but everyone was only saved through Christ. Acts chapter 4, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. The world doesn't like to hear that. They want another way. They want to go this way. They want to go that way. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Somebody said it this way. It's not that Jesus is the only way that bothers people. If there were 14,000 ways, mankind would still want one more. We would still want to get in our own way. But Jesus is the only way. Repentance of sin and belief in who He is and what He's done is the only way. There is a universal Savior. Then I want you to notice one very last thing, and it won't take long and we won't be long. Go back to chapter 8, verse 26. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip. Philip was a deacon in a church, okay? Saying, Arise and go. I have it circled in my Bible. Go. Arise and go. And then verse 29. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go. Go near. Now if we move to chapter 9, God spoke to a man named Ananias. Verse 11. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go. Ananias was a layman in a church. He didn't have an office in the church. He wasn't a deacon. He wasn't a pastor. He wasn't an evangelist. He was a layperson. And the Lord said, Go unto the street which is called Straight and inquire the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth. In verse 15, And the Lord said unto him, Go 
thy way. Ananias gave an excuse. He said, you don't know who this guy is, right? I mean, he kills Christians. God said, go. God said, go. Simple. Now if we go to Acts. Acts chapter 10 and verse 20. Well, 19. While Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise and get thee down and go with them. It's a universal command. He was, yeah, he was an apostle. He was a disciple. He was the preacher. Of the, this group of men, we have a preacher, a layman, and a deacon. The whole gamut of those that would serve in a church. And God says to all of us, go, Mark 16, 15, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. What a simple command. What a simple command that God gives us just to go and speak what has happened to us. If you know the Lord is your Savior, anybody can tell others about Christ. You say, well, I'm not as good as so-and-so. God didn't say go if you're as good as so-and-so. Go if you know the gospel as well as your pastor does. No, go and tell them. In your weakness, when you trust God, God does miracles. That's why Paul said, I would glory in my infirmities. Why? Because the power of God rests on me when I'm weak. When I am weak, then he can be strong. But when I am strong and I don't rely on him, then he is not strong. But we can go with our weakness and say, look, I don't know the best way to tell you this, but this is what happened to me. That I was living my life and I realized that I had a great need of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I trusted His Word. I trusted what Christ did for me on the cross. That He rose from the dead. And, and God changed my life. And I'm a different person today. And the Bible tells us that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are reconciled to God by Him. It also tells us now then we are ambassadors for Christ. We are the ones that God has sent to the whole world so that God can reconcile the world to Himself. That's the desire that God has. I read a book that a preacher wrote, and he said, one of my favorite things growing up was to go to my grandma's house. She lived on a farm. And he said, uh, but the farm was enjoyable, but my favorite thing about my grandma's house, he said, was she was always baking something when I was there. It might have been a cake, it might have been cookies, it might have been a pie, but it was that was a highlight of the trip for him. He said, you know, when she's mixing it up, I wanted to stick my fingers in the dough or the batter or whatever and taste it and, and, and nibble on it and those kind of things, and she wouldn't let me do those things. He said, you know, as soon as it goes in the oven, I'm, you know, begging and whining. How soon is it going to be done? Can we take it out? Can I eat it? And you know how that is. When it comes out, it's still hot. It's still hot. Last night we had that and we had a warning. Hey, don't, you know, touch them right away. You can burn yourself. There are some burns that are worth it. <laughs> and, and, and hot chocolate chip cookies is, that might be worth it. Okay. That, that's a personal decision. Okay. I'll leave that up to you. But he was of that. And he said, my problem was, he said, I was always whining. I was always crying and saying, I want the cookies. I want." And he said, one particular time, in between my whining and crying, my grandma would say, shh, do you hear that? He said, I didn't hear anything. I didn't care. He said, all I wanted was cookies. He said, finally, my grandma said, let's, let's go outside and see if we can find this. And so she would shush me and she would kind of stop and be calm and listen. And sure enough, the noise got louder and louder and we found the source of the noise. He said, we got out to one of the fields and there was a calf that had gotten caught in the barbed wire fence and was stuck and it was, you know, wailing. He's doing what a calf would do. 
And he said, I look back on that now. He said, we freed the calf and you know everything was good and cookies and whatever. He said, but I think about my life. And he said, sometimes I get just like then, I get caught up in what I want. I get caught up with my desires and I miss the real need of somebody else out there. And as a Christian, we need to heed the call, the universal command to go. Sometimes we sit in the house and we partake of the goodies that God has for us and we say, well, I'm saved. But one time we weren't. One time someone had to pray for us. Someone invited us. Someone talked to us and told us about Christ. And now it's our turn to go and tell them and obey that universal command. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, we won't belabor this, but do you know for sure that if you were to die today, that you would be on your way to heaven because your sins are forgiven before God. That you, at one time in your life, you came to Christ and said, I'm a sinner, and I believe that Jesus Christ died for me, and because of that, God, I'm asking you to save me. Do you know that 100% sure? You say, preacher, I do know that. If you do, would you raise your hand so that I can see that in this auditorium? I see hands all around, but I don't see every hand. All right, you can put your hands down. Maybe you'd say, I don't know that, but preacher, I know that what I need is to be saved. I want that. I realize that the void in my life, this emptiness, is the void of God. And that He wants to fill my life and reconcile me into a relationship with Him. And preacher, that's what I want. I want God to save my soul today. If that's you, would you raise your hand anywhere in the auditorium? Anywhere at all? Preacher, I know that that's me. That I need to be saved. And that's what I want. And I'm telling you that, preacher, by my hand up in the air. I'm just going to give you a few more seconds. Sometimes I realize that when I wait, God's working on your heart. And it's difficult sometimes to submit to that. But you'd say, preacher, that's me. I want to be saved today. Anywhere in the room. Anywhere at all. I don't want to miss it. All right, Christian, maybe you.